0: Let's open with a word of prayer before we dig in. Almighty God, how incredible you are, Lord. Your awesome plan of salvation and everything in life leads us to this, that everything points back to you. You are the source of all good things. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Open our minds, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we might hear the words of Isaiah. As we close out the book of Isaiah, how incredible, Lord, to study Isaiah, to think about what it was like for Isaiah all those years ago, and the the conditions that he lived under, and how much, today is just exactly the same in the lives that we live. Heavenly Father, give us just a little bit of that courage that you gave to Isaiah so that we could be messengers for you. Bless our time together this morning and bring us to that better understanding of who you are and who your son is and what he did for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So Isaiah 66. And we're gonna do fifteen to the end. Fifteen to twenty-four. Um so I went back through my notes. Do you realize when we started Isaiah? Do any of you remember? It was September twentieth of twenty twenty. Stop and think about that. We've been in Isaiah almost two years. Bill and I have really enjoyed inflicting Isaiah on all of you. Um, 23 months to get through Isaiah. Of all the Old Testament books of the Bible, of those not in the Pentateuch, all right? You take the Pentateuch, that's special. Okay. But, But all the other books that are in the Old Testament... Isaiah is, in my belief, the most important. It's the connector between the Old Testament and everything that's going on to the people of Israel and the New Testament. And that's so clear when you read it. You look at this and you think, you can see Jesus just leaping off of the page. Every place that we look. It's amazing to me that the modern liberal Jewish synagogues don't get this that they have all this laid out for them. I mean, and they can't make the leap into the old into the New Testament from the old. Isaiah is like an old friend for all of us now. We are in the epilogue of Isaiah's message. So what are the things do you think Isaiah is going to leave us with? Uh, I had Riley read the very beginning of Isaiah. And Isaiah just lays it out for us. I'm the son of Amos, in the time of Hezekiah. And he gives the list of kings. And keep in mind, of all those kings, the only good king on that list was Hezekiah. And I'm sure Isaiah was thinking to himself, I had no idea I had it so good to start with. And then it's just been downhill ever since. And it must have been very difficult for Isaiah to do these things. Tradition tells us that Isaiah was killed by being sawn in half. And a most painful and excruciating death. And it was because of the message Isaiah was delivering that the established government of the day deemed Isaiah a traitor and had him put to death. So let's go take a look at what Isaiah's final words to us are. So, open your Bibles. Isaiah 66, verse 15. And my Bible has these subheadings. And the subheading right here is, final judgment and glory of the Lord. And this epilogue back section is exactly this. So verse 15. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. So at the end of time, the Lord will come in fire, his hosts in chariots, A multitude like whirlwinds. And the anger of the Lord is a great fury. His rebuke is flames of fire. A very fearful and terrible day. We've heard this many, many times through the Bible. And Isaiah begins his final message from God to us with this reminder again. Continuing on, verse 16. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by His sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. So here, the Lord appears as a warrior, and His weapon that He uses is His sword. Looking back at Isaiah 27.1, Isaiah 27.1, In that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan the fleeing serpent, Leviathan the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Again in Isaiah 34:5, Isaiah 34:5, for my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people. I have devoted to destruction. Finally, we get the Apostle John in Revelation. Revelation 19, 11 to 18. Revelation 19, 11 to 18. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both great and small. Apocalyptic images that we have of the last day when Jesus comes again. Continuing on in verse 17. Those who sanctify and purify themselves go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh, and the abomination and mice shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. These are those who are proud and haughty in their spirit. Their offerings are an abomination before God. Isaiah speaks of this many times. Isaiah 66.3, we just looked at this last week. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. These are the people that Isaiah is speaking of here. Isaiah continues, Isaiah 65, 2 through 5. Isaiah 65, 2 through 5. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. These are those who believe they are doing the right thing. That they are the ones that stand for God by appeasing Him. That their salvation is earned by their actions. They have no humbleness of heart. There is no contrition. There is no repentance. They are right in their actions. And they could not be more wrong. Verse 18. The Lord replies, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory. And so this is split. The Lord knows the works and the thoughts of everyone. And here are the works and thoughts of those who follow after the Lord, who fear God and tremble because of their unjustness. They repent of their sins and appeal to the Lord for forgiveness and mercy and grace. They know the cost that God had to pay for that forgiveness and grace. And the Lord shall gather them up from all nations and tongues. He shall gather them to His holy mountain to the new Jerusalem. And all the peoples shall submit themselves to the Lord. Verse 19. I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, to Pole and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And the Lord shall send his messengers to all the nations to Tarshish, Pole, Lud, Tubal, Javan and the others that do not know of the Lord's fame or glory. And the Lord's messengers shall declare his glory to all. Isaiah 24, 13 to 16, the first half of 16. Isaiah 24, 13 to 16. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth, among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten, as at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. They lift up their voices and they sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west, therefore in the east give glory to the Lord in the coastlands of the sea. Give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise, of glory, to the Righteous One. This list of names, by the way, I had to go dig up where every one of these was from. So Tarshish, we've talked about Tarshish before. It's a seaport in the south of, of Spain. There's a river that comes down to the ocean, and it's not far from the rocks of Gibraltar. And this was the, the, the village of Tarshish and very famous for their ships. Pol, an ancient African nation believed now to be in modern Libya. Interesting. Lud, an ancient nation in the north of modern Ethiopia. Tubal, an ancient nation in the north of Spain, not far from the Pyrenees Mountains. Javan, a lost nation believed to either be near Ephesus in Turkey or Tyre in southern Lebanon. So all these places are listed. And then as an afterthought, Isaiah is told, and all the places who do not know my fame or my glory. And I'm thinking of the church today in China, right? Right? and what that must have been like. There's a story, I know I've told you this one before, but it bears repeating. We had some friends from our old church who went to Iraq. And when the United States invaded and the government came down, this group of missionaries thought it was the perfect opportunity to move into Baghdad, carrying the message of Jesus. And so they went. And when you go and you want to live in a house, you go to the and by the way, in the East, right? And you have to remember, these Middle Eastern countries are actually very Eastern in the way they operate. And if you've ever been to China or Hong Kong or Japan or, and you asked someone, you have an address, right? And you think, okay, streets, numbers, how hard can this be? You, you don't understand. They don't list things by the streets. They list them by the block. And the first house on the block is one and the second house is two And the third house that gets built is three. It's not in order the way we would think the thing would be organized. No. One is over here. Two is over there. Three is back down that other alley that you just came down. This is the way things are laid out on those blocks. And so you learn these things about this culture. This family did. Family. Extended family. Beyond just family. And So there's a block captain, if you you could think of it this way. The man in charge of his block. So they made arrangements with this man to live in a particular house. And the power was only on for a couple hours a day, so they would pump water to the roof, to the tank on the roof, so they would have some water running in the house. And the oldest son, they gave him a translation of the Bible in Arabic. Arabic. And so you can imagine the marauding gangs, basically, in the streets. And so the oldest son would sit on the doorstep in front, watching for trouble. And if there was trouble, he would warn the family to go hide, the Westerners, that they were basically protecting. Think about that. And there was a day when the young young man would read the Bible sitting out on the front porch, on on the doorstep. And there was a day when he came running in to tell the family, Jesus is God! Jesus is God! He figured this out just from reading the Bible in Arabic. They didn't tell him this. He got it just from reading the Bible they had given him. He was the oldest son. The oldest son carries a lot of weight in Eastern cultures. And so there were many in that family who came to know Jesus because this young man reading his Bible out on the front doorstep figured this out every tongue, every nation. God does amazing things in ways that we can't even imagine, in places that we can't even conceive of, all over the world. That's what Isaiah is talking about here. Back to Isaiah. Verse 20, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And the messengers of the Lord shall bring in all the peoples, the men, the women, the children, to the Lord's holy mountain in Jerusalem. The people shall come by every conveyance to Jerusalem, just as the faithful Israelites bring their grain offerings in clean vessels to the Lord. The grain offering. And so I read the grain offering, and I immediately think they're bringing the bread. And if you stop and think about the bread, what does Jesus tell you the bread is? The bread is the body. They are the body of Christ. And when we say the body of Christ, we're talking about the church. What do we call ourselves? We are Soma. We are the body. Isaiah is talking about us right there. We are the soma, the Greek word for body. This is all of us. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Romans 11, 11 to 14. Romans 11, 11 to 14. The Gentiles are grafted in here. So I ask, I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and to save some of them. This is Paul speaking. Paul is bringing the message to Gentiles. And he's making the Jews jealous because they are receiving salvation also. That's all of us. We're coming down to the last few verses here. Verse 21. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. Say what? Gentiles are going to be the priests? That's exactly what Isaiah says right here. And the Lord will make some of us priests and the Levite servants to serve in the temple. We are being completely grafted into the covenant with Israel. That's what Isaiah is telling us. Verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. The new heavens and the new earth are made by the Lord and because of that we shall remain before the Lord forever and not just us but our offspring and our names Isaiah 65:17 New heavens and a new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. 2 <coughs> Peter 3.13 2 Peter 3.13 But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The Lord shall not remember the old. All the past shall be gone, will be wiped away. And the new heavens and the new earth shall be covered in the righteousness of God. Verse 23. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. The Hebrews follow a lunar calendar. So the new moon holds a special significance for them. They watch for the first new moon, that thin crescent, the thinnest crescent that they can see as the first day of every month. And they watch for that. They have this lunar calendar. So the new moon holds this special significance. And new moon to new moon, all flesh shall come to worship the Lord, to behold his glory, and fall down before the throne of God. In verse 24, the very final verse in all of Isaiah. And what do you think Isaiah talks about? Listen to this, verse 24. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This is the tag at the end. All the nations shall go out and look upon the bodies of those who have rebelled against the Lord. This closes the entire book. We look back at where Isaiah came. And I had Riley read the very first verse, but I'm going to read you the second verse, okay? Which is sort of, there's a pause there, and then in the same breath, Isaiah says, this is where the message begins. Watch. So Isaiah 1, 1 and 2. Isaiah 1, 1 and 2. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And remember, Uzziah was the only good king in that whole list, right? Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Hezekiah in particular. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. Isaiah begins with the wickedness of Judah. And he ends talking about the wickedness. Why does Isaiah bookend the entire book with these two thoughts? Isaiah begins and ends with the wickedness of Judah. It is the human condition. It is who we are. People want what they want. They follow after their own corrupt hearts. It's what we do. We justify the things that we want. It's who we are. I am corrupt. I am prone to wander off of God's path. God says, go this way. Guess which way I'm looking? Not that way. I resist God's hand over me and I have to repent of my own sinful desires. I am one of the people that Isaiah is yelling at and every time I do this that is something that Jesus had to carry up that hill with that cross on his back. And because of that I must bless the name and the honor and the glory of Jesus for all my days that he paid my penalty for me and paid the price of my redemption. This is where Isaiah ends. And all the peoples will go out and view the dead bodies of those who resist God and war against God's sovereignty, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh, because the penalty of sin is death. Isaiah knows that the problem between us and God is sin. And he talks in the middle of the book about the solution to that. And every time Isaiah talks about that, What's the first thing every one of us think about? It's Jesus. Every single time, it's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He's he's the question at the beginning, and he's the answer to that question. Isaiah points out sin to all of us. The great problem between man and God is sin. Sin is the problem. Sin demands a solution. Sin is the obstacle that stands between us and the beautiful plan of God's kingdom. Sin is the great problem that confronts all of us. And everything in between in Isaiah is God telling Isaiah how to lift up a corner of the curtain that there is a grand solution in God's plan that God provides that solution. Remember what Abraham said to Isaac? Do you remember that? Genesis 22, 7 and 8. Genesis 22, 7 and 8. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. How prophetic. How prophetic for all of us. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Isaiah is telling us the answer. It's right there. God provides the lamb for the burnt offering. Jesus is that sacrifice. Notice the human plea, the need for both righteousness and justice, as well as for grace and mercy. And prayers like this make it clear to us that Isaiah did not fully know the plan of God. We've talked about this before. Isaiah, he, he's got the most complete view of what's going on. And still, there's pieces here that Isaiah just doesn't get. Just like we don't get it. We can never know how great Jesus is. I want to work on that. I want to know. Imagine Isaiah looking down from heaven on the day that Jesus is born. Can you imagine that? How incredible. How incredible. Suddenly, Isaiah gets it. Right? Can you imagine Isaiah singing before the Father after that? To know that the anointed servant has arrived. To redeem and save the Lord's people. The Son, the crown prince, is going to do it himself. The anointed servant is Jesus, of course, and the glorious Zion is the collective God's people, the church, Jesus and his church. We are that church. We are the bride, the cherished and celebrated by the Lord. We are the new Jerusalem. And so God brings judgment and then redemption. Isaiah proclaims a new thing is coming from the Lord. The Lord makes the ways of the righteous and the just. God is bringing in all the peoples, all the nations of the earth to come to God's mountain. God is wholly just. And God is the only one who is wholly faithful for all of us. God knows the one who can pay for all sins. From eternity past through the present to eternity in the future, for all the peoples of all time. God knows. God knows only His Son is just and true and can stand in the gap for the sins of all God's people. Jesus is the one, the servant, the crown prince, the king, not created, not made, forever eternal, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the one that comes, the servant. The Son of God, the eternal King, not created, not made, forever sovereign. Let's pray. Almighty God, how amazing is your plan? And Isaiah lifts up that curtain for us, just the corner so that there's just this glimpse of what your perfect plan of redemption is and how we fit into that, how our church fits in there, Lord. And we know that we are unworthy, that we come before you, and anything that we could offer is just beyond worthless to you. And yet you still treat us as your very children and accept us despite who we are because you love each of us as the church. How amazing, how beautiful, how incredible. Just this image of Jesus coming down From his rightful place in heaven. I can imagine the conversation. It's okay, Dad, I've got this. How great is the name of Jesus to bless us, the church. Lord, that we would understand what Jesus paid, so that we could stand before you. And when you look down at us, and all those things that we have done, all the failures in our lives, all those black, dark things, and you do not see any of that, you see your Son, Jesus, Jesus is the one who wipes us clean and washes us. Heavenly Father, how amazing is that day when we all sing praise before you in the throne room and how I look forward to that day because of that most holy of all names, Jesus. Amen.